Welcome back, Ruggles. Welcome back. I'm just um, enjoying a nice uh, glass of water here. It's uh, it's not fizzy though, Adam. Oh, so that's funny because I've actually got a glass of sparkling water here. However, my new favourite word is still. So the irony there. Um, I was on the tube the other day and I was sat opposite a guy who had a Nike t-shirt on and across the front of it, it said still running. And I was like, that is the best t-shirt I've ever seen. And my new favorite word is now still because so many people as new Year's resolutions as I need to get fit will start running and they'll do kind of couch to 5k or couch to 10k, whatever it is, like one of those things and they'll start. But the amount of people who started those things and never continued is insane. And I think it's the same with any kind of creative practice. Everyone who's ever said, I'm going to create a piece of artwork every day for a year or something. And then they've quit. Like, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Yeah. And obviously it's Inktober starting soon as well. So it'll be interesting to see how many people start that and don't complete it. But the word still, to be able to say with whatever you do, I feel like it's the most powerful thing ever. I'm still doing this. I'm still doing that. And yeah, um, I just fell in love with that word like instantly just by seeing that t-shirt. Yeah, it's uh, it's consistency and it is probably the most important thing, I think, in terms of having a, having a creative career. If you're doing something that you love, I've been hearing so much about burnout recently. I don't know whether it's a, a, a popular topic that's kind of coming back into the zeitgeist, but um, I, I, I don't want to say that I don't believe in it because I don't want to offend or you don't, you don't want to like downplay anyone else's struggles. But if you are doing something that you enjoy, you can be tired, but being burnt out, I think is something completely different to me. Burnt out says that, that like you can no longer go on and, and you've exhausted yourself. So, so completely and fully and you, and what you're doing isn't pleasurable anymore. It's just a hard slog. Um, and then maybe you're doing the wrong thing if that's how it feels. I, I've definitely learned to fall in love with the difficult process of painting murals. And I and and the reason that I've had success with it is because I was really consistent. And when we had Erica Lee Sears on the show and she does make a painting every single day, I did try it and I didn't enjoy the pressure of having to put something up every single day. And then knowing, okay, well, I've got a wedding on Saturday, so I'm not going to be able to do anything that day. So I'm going to have to do two paintings on Friday. I just, I just didn't enjoy it. And so as soon as I stopped enjoying it, I was like, well, I think I'm going to stop doing this, which is funny because <laughs> I, I, I was talking to one of our listeners recently and she was like, she was talking about the contradictory stuff that comes up on the show. She said like, you'll have one, one guest that will say this, one guest that will say that. And my kind of answer was for that was like, yes, and that's what we want. We want all of these different opinions from different places, from, from people who have seen success. And one person's found success doing it one way, and the other person's found success doing it the other way. So you can see that both could work for you and you choose what's best for you. And so there is a big contradiction in that of me stopping when it got hard or not enjoyable. Because one of the things I talk about so often is like is pushing through that phase when it is really hard to to be consistent and, and see the results on the other end. We've talked a lot on the show about like habits and building habits and, and that's what consistency leads to. And I think we stop because what we want to what we wanted to have achieved within that period of time hasn't happened. And I think a lot of people go into things like Inktober or kind of like those monthly things or New Year's resolutions as a perfect example because most people don't 
see those through um, is we haven't got the results we wanted within the period of time of us doing it because we put these pressures on ourselves, which I think is where burnout often comes from as well as this external stress. Well, I need to achieve this in this certain amount of time. Whereas as soon as we don't have that mindset, we just think, okay, we're going to play this for the long game. It's not going to be, what can I do in this short time period? It's like, well, what could I do over the next 10 years? I think that'd be a really interesting way to, to approach it because like I was thinking the other day, so I started like drawing on the iPad as just like a little fun thing to do in the evenings. And I'm really bad at the moment, but I know that if I kept going, I could get good. And I think about being like, I think when I was probably about 15, my dad bought me a graphics tablet for my computer. And that was over half of my life ago. And if I'd have just carried on every single day using that graphics tablet and creating digital art on the computer, I would be one of the best digital painters in the world easily because of the amount of time and energy that would have gone into that. And I think about like even kind of the kinds of drawings I did as a kid, if I'd have just kept going, if I'd have still been drawing at the same rate that I was when I started, I would be absolutely insane right now. And that's probably what I would be doing as a job. And I think it's because I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not still doing it that the, that, that never happened. Whereas I think looking back, it's a lot easier to kind of like see actually, if I'd have actually committed to that, I could be doing that. And I kind of think anyone then, suddenly like no matter who you are, what job you're in, whatever it is, if you just said to yourself, I hate where I am now, intent, like I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to continue doing what I do for the next 10 years. But in 10 years time, I know I'm going to have some amazing job doing whatever it is whatever you commit to for that period of time if you've never picked up a pencil before and you decided okay in 10 years time I'm going to be a successful illustrator then that can happen but you just need to pick up the pencil and do it consistently for that period of time like I think it's almost impossible unless you don't ever push yourself if you do it consistently to fail because you you can't not get good enough to go and do that thing but it just requires doing the thing, which I think, yeah, where that word still comes to, it's like, what are you still doing? Like you're still eating your breakfast every day. Well, you might not be. You're, you're still waking up every day. You're still eating food every day. You're still moving around every day. But what else are you still doing? What else have you been doing a certain amount of time? And then maybe if you realize, actually, I have been doing this, then be proud of what you have still been doing. And then try and find more things to add into that to try and get that proud feeling of just being able to say to yourself, I've done this every single day. Like, I don't know if you still have cold showers, but for that long period of time where you did, there was a, a real kind of proud of like, I can say that I've done this every single day for this period of time. And I think once you've built up that, then it becomes harder to stop. Like, I think the hard part is getting to the stage where you feel proud in what you've done. But then when you found that kind of proudness, you don't want to let that go so you really hold on to it and I think that's that's the point where it becomes this is your habit this is a, just the thing you do this is what I'm still doing. This might be the most important intro that we've ever done I think that might be the most important point of the podcast is that when we were younger when you were 15 if you could go back in time now and clearly articulate that to 15 year old you and say okay if you keep going with this it turns into something. But the problem is with most of our listeners is they don't know that the thing that they're working on today is going to become something. So if we can just say, like, trust us, we've been through this process a million times. 
where if you consistently are showing up and you're improving your skills all the time and that that might not just be by practicing because there's a, a thing that i love which is practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent so if you're doing something the wrong way consistently it's always going to be wrong so maybe that involves learning from other people learning from mentors taking a course wherever it might be to become really good at something but as you do and your skills gradually increase gradually increase if you are if you've got that output and you're making that work and you're putting it out into the world, it does work. Like it, on a long enough timeline, it does become successful. And I think the reason why some people will listen to this show and then they will stop doing the thing that they were doing is because they can't see those pearly gates off in the future of this actually becoming a success. But trust us, it does happen if you are consistent and you are making good work. With the kind of like drawings and stuff I started doing again and then looking back to that time and thinking if I'd have continued, I could have been successful there then it makes me think, well, I probably won't do photography forever. I'll probably go and do something else one day. But then thinking like, well, actually, I've always enjoyed drawing. So maybe if I start just doing a little bit consistently over the next 10 years, that in 10 years time, I could then go and become an illustrator. That could be something that I'm going to do. And having that kind of longer game mindset has made me think completely different about it. Because it's not like I need to get really good quick. Because when I think I need to get good quick, I'm like, hey, well, who are the best artists? I'm going to copy them and try and learn things from them as quick as possible. But then it just becomes, especially with kind of drawings and illustrations, that just becomes you have a good memory that can replicate things that you've seen before, which is currently kind of what my art style kind of revolves around. It's like, well, I know that that eye works well and how to arrange these different things. And that creates a thing that's good enough that people will be like, that's good. Whereas when I look at people who are actual experts in the field, and I've seen it from quite a lot of people who are really successful artists, all of them say, go and study anatomy. And that sounds really boring and I can't be bothered to do that. I just want to create quick things that people tell me that are good. Whereas actually I need that kind of long approach. So I've actually kind of ordered an anatomy book and I'm going to be like, okay, well, over the next 10 years, I'm going to get to a stage where I'm good enough that I could do that as a job and I could just create characters from my head and they will be great because I've got all the foundations in there. And I think that's where as creatives we suffer. We don't want to lay the foundations. We just want this pretty building that kind of like, looks great but then because it's not got the foundations fucking life comes in a way and it knocks it all down and then you're left with nothing whereas by building something properly by working out okay well if 10 years is my goal of where i want to be successful in this then what would my approach be right so apologies small bit of uh, audio technical issues on my end there um so let's get into this week's episode who is matthew vanderput also known on social media as at matt joe's and Matt is, I think, everything we were talking about, about consistency, that's something that Matt embodies. He's very consistent. This started off as a hobby and now he's a full-time time-lapser, if that's even a word. And uh, I really enjoyed this episode with a fantastic creative. So let's get into this episode. Hi, Matt. Hello. Welcome to the show, dude. How's everything going? I'm good. I'm good. It's a bit earlier than my usual uh, usual start of the day. I only get up in about an hour from now, but happy to be here. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so, so Matt, w- one thing we say on this podcast all the time is that niches make riches. And if someone DM'd us and said, I want to be a time-lapse photographer, um, we I would maybe say that's like maybe too niche. As I would think like, where's the market there? Like, like that's, that would seem like a really hard thing to turn into a, a commercial um, success. However, you are a commercially successful time-lapse photographer. I am indeed. And it's funny you say that. It's one of the many stories I often tell whenever I do a talk or anything. It's um, when I started about 10 years ago as a hobby doing time-lapse photography, 
which in case people don't know, it's, you know, you capture time from a different uh, temporal perspective. So I shoot a lot of clouds, cityscapes, landscapes, and it's all sped up. You know, it's the opposite of slow motion. But when I started this, I used to tell everyone, I'm like, it's a hobby. It'll only ever be a hobby because how on earth am I going to make money with this? You're sitting somewhere with a couple thousand dollars worth of gear uh, for hours on end. You've traveled to a nice location with a nice view uh, and it takes forever to shoot this stuff. And then you travel back and then you edit all this footage, all this data on expensive hard drives with expensive software on expensive gear. And then in the end, you get 10 seconds of footage. Like, how does that work <laughs> commercially? How's, yeah. that, how's that viable? Um, but then, you know, you meet people uh, that have a vision and, and, that have, and that have the knowledge. They know that that's the only way to do it. Like the only way to create time-lapse footage is by doing that. So when they have the right vision and the right budget, um, and they can find you uh, through, you know, a, a physical social network or through the internet, um, you can make that work. But it is very niche and it has been, especially in the last couple of years, uh, more challenging to make uh, decent money with it. But I've had a very, uh, very fun, very lucrative career in, as a time-lapse and hyperlapse photographer when hyperlapse is like a niche within a niche within a niche, pretty much. And who are some of the clients that you've worked with producing uh, time-lapses for? I think almost all the big tech brands. So I've, I've done a lot of work with Canon, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, working with Panasonic now here in the UK, um, Samsung. I used to be a Samsung ambassador. They're like, you know, giving me phones and money to create stuff on their phones, which is uh, still, yeah, fun to think about. Um, I've shot stuff for Vogue. I've got some stuff on, um, well, I've, I've done a lot of tourism work as well. So like tourism, Dubai, Philippines, Vanuatu, Australia. Uh, all the states in Australia. I've done some stuff just for social here with Visit London, I think, through VidCon a while back. So yeah, it's a, it's a big list of clients. And it's, a, it's again, stuff that I 10 years ago when I started, I never expected to, to happen. Uh, I feel very, very grateful uh, for all that because I always tell people it's a hobby and it just got out of hand and now it's my career, which I think is... You know, if you're a creative, it's that's the best thing that can happen, I think, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of like the best way to approach anything. Like approach it like if it never is not a hobby and it just continues as a hobby forever, you'd be happy doing that. I feel like that's when you know you found the right thing. It still is a hobby as well. Like yeah. I'm still like I've got three cameras on the balcony right now. Last night when, when I saw you, David, I had three cameras running just because when I left, I was like, ooh, mm, the sky's looking good. It might be a nice sunset. And I was right. I better be right because I've been doing this for such a long time. But it was a beautiful sunset and I've got it on three cameras. One's like a super high resolution one, two GoPros. Like I've got the new GoPro and then I can compare like, you know, image quality for my YouTube channel. I, I often compare, um, you know, cameras and, and and then I was, and yeah, it just looks great. I love it. So I guess you're a meteorologist as well as a time lapse. <laughs> I actually want to do a, uh, what do you call like, a, not a degree, but like a course, but it's, I mean, that's yeah. pretty niche. Um, but I am fairly adequate fairly good at predicting um what clouds will do except the uk or maybe it's london it's it's bonkers here the sky's crazy when i used to live in sydney uh, for context i used to live there for six or seven years i could predict um you know what the sky would do in a few hours based on like charts satellite data or just looking at it looking at the horizon and stuff here and i saw a meme the other day it's like whether in the uk or in london is like Sunny, cloudy, rain, sun, <laughs> blue sky, <laughs> storm within an hour. Uh, and that's very true. So when I moved here, I had to re, um, readjust uh, or adjust rather um, and, and figure out how the sky works. And I still haven't done it fully, but there are certain elements like 
you can recognize uh, low altitude, mid altitude, or high altitude clouds. And last night we had we had a clear horizon and high altitude clouds, and I knew that was probably going to blow up into some extremely you know pink and colorful uh, scenes, and it did. And I just checked the footage, and it's stunning. And that was happening. I was recording while I was uh, sat down having a beer with friends, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you were talking about there, about even just like looking at like the data about like what could happen and like the different weather patterns and stuff. I think it's learning that kind of stuff and even like the course you were talking about that kind of sets you apart from someone else who's, because it's like everyone has a phone with a time-lapse feature on it, but that doesn't make them a time-lapse photographer. And I think it's those extra little things that we kind of learn outside of our craft that might seem a bit like, oh, well, is that really actually going to benefit me because I'm not using or doing the thing that I'm doing at the time? But it's those things that I think really enrich things and make you become an expert, make you become so much better because it's like, if it takes, say, 10 hours potentially to film one short clip, you're going to kind of want to make sure before you even start that you kind of know what's going to happen because you don't have, like, otherwise that's a, I'm sure you've wasted a lot of, like, a lot of time. A lot of hard drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think of that that boxing trainer. There's a boxing trainer who who um, he teaches boys to dance first and then they're, like, untouchable because just because their footwork and it's that transferable skill. It's like, and yeah, it's like trying to predict where stuff's going to be in a little bit. So how do you frame that up? How do you make your composition? And then a whole other niche in time-lapse is, um, you know, plant stuff plants growing and a friend of mine does a lot of um you know in studio like big setups and they, they build robots to follow plant growth but how do you predict where that plant's going to be in a month you know yeah, and then yeah. if it doesn't frame up properly and you want to shoot it macro so you're shooting extremely close up it's a lot of trial and error and as you said you can waste a lot of time uh, but that's the fun of it and that's that's the beauty of it as well and again the, re- the end result you get with time lapse is as you know david shooting your own uh, time lapse is a lot of your of your artworks um you, you you always find something interesting, like shooting people on a street. I didn't know people, f- you know, they flow like a like a liquid almost. It's it's mm. yeah. You you get stuff revealed to you in a really fun way. But yeah, it does take time and, and effort and energy. But I think it's that time, effort, and energy, which is what allows you to do it professionally. Because I think most people aren't willing to put that time, effort, and energy into creating something. And I think that's where the value lies as well. Like yes, it's a, a small niche, but. It's a niche that most people aren't willing to do. Most people aren't willing to go and sit in the cold for four <laughs> to 10 hours just to make a 10 second video. And I think that's where the value falls into it because if you want that, you have to go and do it. And most people aren't mm-hmm. willing to put in that like hard, like it can't be fun to be sat there a lot of times. <laughs> I get the question a lot of people are like, you must be so patient. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm so patient, but I guess I must be like, what do you do when you're when you're sat there on like a long shoot and you can't go down to the pub with your mates and leave it running? Um, that's I think that's probably like my most asked question is like what do you do when you sit there? And a lot of the time, you know, I've I've gone to a, a really beautiful spot or a site or a location, and I'm honestly just taking in the view, or I'm I'm recording behind the scenes footage. I shoot a um, photo of my camera. I've got this behind the scenes Instagram account with like 30,000 followers because people love seeing camera gear for some reason. I, I really love going on like a long train journey or a plane ride where you know you've got that block of time 
And I really enjoy going, okay, well, so for this part, I'm going to watch this movie. And then for this part, I'm going to read this book. And I, like, I really love having, because it's the one time in my life where there's not jobs to be done. It's like, okay, I can't go anywhere. I've sit, I sit and I've got that block. Um, and I guess for you, that's like, you're, you're getting those enforced blocks of you've got this time, like you're, you're working, you're earning money while you're sat there, but you've got that block of time that you can just like dedicate to, to getting a task done, which is, which like quite a nice gift that your job gives you really. Yeah. It's like forced, um, not relaxation because it is work and you are, you know, possibly monitoring settings or adjusting settings, et cetera. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're forced to, as I said, it's the only way to do it. It's the only way to get those results is by, is by sitting there and waiting. You know, the only way to get a really pretty mural is by, painting <laughs> takes ages so how do you take it from being a hobby to actually being something that can sustain you as a career it just kind of happened um there wasn't a big pivotal moment where it wasn't something i was actively working towards but um i had the skills and the experience and i had a little showreel after like two years of, of you know messing about with time-lapse stuff and then i moved to australia i went through like you know a lot of a lot of negative stuff back uh, back home in Belgium. I lost a close friend of mine in an accident. I had a really bad breakup. I was in a in this mental state that just wasn't great, <laughs> and I was and I I needed to be somewhere else. So I decided to travel to Australia, and then I met a girl, and then I was back in Belgium, and then I decided to quit my job and move to Australia to go back and see what would happen. Uh, and now she's my fiance, and she's in the other room here, which is pretty fun. Eight years later, um, but when I got to Australia, I had a degree in film editing, uh, but that wasn't something I, I wanted to chase uh, per se. I also had this skill set and this this love or addiction maybe of, for time-lapse photography. And so I was doing it more and more and I didn't have a professional network there. I knew like one or two people in the industry and I just kept shooting time-lapse and I met the right people really. And, you know, I would, I would meet them. They're like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, I'm a film editor, but I really like time-lapse. And like, oh, what's that? And then I'd show them and I always have this little reel on my phone that I can show people. And now I can, now I just show like my Instagram, my latest upload or whatever. But it was that, um, showing what I did to a lot of people because I didn't really have anything else to do that then led to meeting the right people that have the budget and the vision and the opportunities. And so I met a few people that just kind of took me under their wing and gave me, uh, my first couple of jobs which was, I think initially I was paid in, in a little bit of gear and then I got paid a little bit of money and then that expanded and, and the ball started rolling. And then at one point I look back at like the last year, I think, and I was like, hmm, I've actually made a decent amount of money with this, doing time-lapse and hyperlapse stuff. I'm like, wow. And then I realized, wait, hold on. I've actually made much more money than I did in the one year that I had a, had a job between film school and doing the time-lapse stuff. Uh, I made more money doing time-lapse um, then with my nine to five. And I was like, wait, this is really cool. How can I keep this going? And I just kept it going, met more people, did more work, made more show reels. Um, social media started growing on the side as well. I went viral a couple of times, hit the front page of Reddit, got a bunch of views on YouTube, then got inquiries from that. And then I was doing a little bit of content licensing. So I would sell some of my clips to, you know, movies or TV shows or whatever, ad, ad campaigns. And then the whole tourism thing started happening in Australia. It was, uh, it was the dawn of the travel influencer um, on Instagram. And so I would get asked to create time-lapse content showing off travel destinations specifically. 
making time-lapse videos for Tourism Dubai, I think was the first job. And then it was Tourism Northern Territory and all these places. And, and, and I was charging compared to my, my peers who were doing just stills because I just had to do so much more work compared to them because I'm doing stills times a thousand and then all the editing. Um, yeah. I could charge triple their, their rate and, and then, yeah, I was making good money. But then there wasn't this moment where I was like, all right, I've made it now. It was just this, this slow realization or this slow growth. And then that look back, it's like, wow, this actually happened. That's really cool. There's so many cool points to that story. And I think so, so let's kind of gradually work through them. Like the, the first thing being you're, you're in like a, a bad place mentally. You've had a load of shit go on as like, as we all do, as we go through our lives, big things happen and, and it affects us. And for most people, they don't do the big ballsy, like just fuck it, let's go, let's just move, like let's let's risk everything for this for this girl, for for this like country. Let's just go all in. And I think that the fact that you've you've done that, you've done something extraordinary, means that you you sort of put yourself on the line and kind of the time lapse thing. Like I don't I don't know that that happens if you don't make that big ballsy decision. It definitely wouldn't have happened in the same way. Um, that big ballsy decision I look back on and it's crazy. It's bonkers, honestly. And I, I, I see like my brother moved in with his uh, girlfriend after like three months, which is a pretty short time. And I look at that and I'm like, that's crazy, man. Are you sure? And then I'm like, what I did is way crazier than that. <laughs> There's a disconnect between what I've done myself. I think maybe it's the time that's passed or, or at the time I was in such a, a weird state, but yeah, it is, you know, it is a leap of faith. And what that did is it, it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone that I think physically and mentally you're in a completely different state and you enable things like things happen. I don't, I'm, I don't know if it's manifestations or, or whatever, uh, but you're in a state where you're just doing things differently because you've got out of your, of your rut, you got out of the comfort zone and you're just in a different space and, and then things, different things happen, I guess. So many people we talk to use that word crazy. And it's like everyone does this crazy thing. And when you kind of really break it down, like it's not that like absolutely like life changing, just moving to another place. But I think it's we kind of put use the word crazy as just not normal. It's not mm, the thing that everyone else does that we kind of follow along that normal path. And I think we should kind of ask ourselves more often, like what seems a bit crazy? What seems not the normal thing that everyone else does? Because it's like, if you go and do those quote unquote crazy things, that's kind of when you get the crazy results. It's like, that's when interesting <laughs> things happen. And I've yeah. noticed it, like, as you said it now, it's like, because I remember writing it down, like quite often as the guests are talking, I'll write down little things that intrigue me. And you said crazy there. And I remember writing it down for two other guests previously, but we never really got onto it. So I think, yeah, that's something that we need to think about a lot more is let's stop doing the same thing that everyone else is doing and let's do those crazy things let's do the things that just aren't the normal path mm. and maybe we shouldn't call it crazy i don't know like as you said like is crazy just the, not normal not the norm not the nine to five not the what everyone else is doing i don't know it's it's an interesting thing to think about it's not the safe decision is it that's i think yeah. that's the thing so I, I fell in love with a canadian many many years ago and we were together for a year and like i i spunked all of my student loan on traveling back and forth to canada and it was just like it was a lot and we both made the safe decision of like 
staying in our home countries. Like neither of us risked it all, went all in. And like my life would be totally different if I'd ended up in Canada or if she'd ended up over here. Um, but but like both decisions worked. Do you know what I mean? Like I am where I am now because I got there in the end. And, and I think if you're... Every, every, like everyone's like really worried that they're going to make the wrong decision and because it is crazy and it seems like so i was obviously worried that i was going to make the wrong decision so i chose the safer option of staying in mm. the uk but it still works out so i think there's there's all of this stress around like what decision should i make oh like but it might be the wrong choice but really like is there a wrong choice because at the end it's of the day whatever path, your choices it? are is going to take you down whichever path you're you're yeah. deciding to go on and then depending on how you look at what is the norm or what's normality, if it's, is it better or worse? It's just different. You can't really put a, yeah. And I think you can't measure it like that. I think, I think the interesting thing is, it's like where, like there is the normal path that everyone follows and you're going to have loads of different points where a decision is made of like, do I do a safe thing? Do I do the crazy thing? But I think if you're the person who at some point is willing to do that crazy thing, whether it's now or in the future, because like David, you decided to go the safe option there. But then when we started Graffiti Life, everyone told you you were crazy and you were doing the mm -hmm. crazy thing. And that was the thing that splintered you off the normal path. It's funny, I'm watching like a lot of the new Marvel shows and there's a this kind of concept of a multiverse where yeah. there's this kind of like central timeline that everything exists on. And that's kind of like the metaphor for almost everyone. That kind of normality. People having, yeah, normality. Yeah. And it, all it takes is that little snap decision to send you off in a completely different direction where your whole new universe is started because you were kind of brave enough to take that little that little leap and i think all it takes is that little bit of bravery at one point in your life to kind of send you off on a different route that will hopefully lead to something much better totally and it's another thing i think it was lily singh that i saw at um adobe max a few years ago or i don't know who it was maybe it was dwayne johnson that path that central line that everyone's on that normality if you've got big goals and dreams, if you want to do an art show, if I want to uh, have, you know, a display in an art gallery myself, you can't wait for that, for someone to approach you to, to enable that for you. It's all about you yourself taking action and going off on that side path, which I still, I have to remind myself of that a lot because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I really would like a, a big art gallery with my work on massive TVs or like an experience when people walk in. No one knows that. No one's going to come and I'm not going to get an email like, hey, Matt, we, we, we've got a gallery. We'd love to work with you and, and you know, hang up some of your cloud uh, displays. It'll be up to me to do that myself. But it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to just focus on those dreams and, and wanting that and not actually taking action. Um, and the same way, like I wanted to make a time lapse course for years. And, and I was always kind of like waiting for the right moment and waiting uh, for to be in the right spot for it or like waiting on a, on a company to reach out to me to help me build that. And then... Um, it <laughs> just had to do it just had to sit down and start doing it and now i'm on the pre-sale uh, bit of it now but it's launching uh, completely very soon and hopefully in a couple of weeks and and yeah that wouldn't happen if i didn't just acted on that and and, yeah. and made that happen myself that shows all of the like different layers doesn't it of like e even the three of us we're all in like quote unquote alternative careers like we're away from the norm we're not doing the nine to fives but then even within that there's the the, the more weird decisions of of us breaking off even within the weird career. There's an artist, I think, in the US called It's Ruben, I-T-S-R-E-U-B-E-N. And he just constantly blows my mind with what he makes. And I'm just, that's, I need to chase more of that, I find myself personally. 
is just having an idea and then executing on that. Or um, Aaron mm-hmm. B. Hall as well, I think, is an automotive photographer. I just love seeing people do that. And I, it, yeah, I constantly have to remind myself to, to be more like that. But then I also reflect on, you know, it's been a fucked up two years. Um, so I, I don't feel too bad about not having too many, you know, different new things happening. Uh, it's been a, a really strange period to go through. So I'm not too upset um, with myself. But yeah, I'm just, again, hobby, got out of hand, still doing the hobby, yeah. still very happy with it. I think it's one of those ones where it's like creative evolution it only happens by keep when you keep making those crazy decisions because it's like when you think about so like what we do it's like we've kind of come off the kind of norm and we're now in our own little path but within our path there's other people too it's not like we're the only the only people who've gone and done this so then it's kind of like okay well if i take time lapses then it's like do i am i just the person who does time lapses of clouds all the time and there's lots of people doing this or the same kind of locations that everyone else shoots it's like well how can I be crazy again within mm. this smaller, like let's forget about the normal now we're past that. But my new niche, my new group of people that I'm my new community, I'm a part of, how can I be the crazy one in that? And then that yeah. pushes you off into another thing to help inspire this group. And I think mm. that's something we always need to do as well is like stay crazy, like stay yeah. looking for those extra things. I think I call that the, if you don't stop learning, you're going backwards because uh, getting new skills, um, it becomes easier, like the threshold or whatever you call it, the entrance, uh, the entry level. It's everything is so much more accessible now when you look at knowledge that's around, but also technology. Like we've got, I've got a built-in hyperlapse mode now on this phone. When I started doing yeah. hyperlapses, the word didn't even exist, right? Now Instagram's got an app, Microsoft's got an app. Um, I've got all this kit here built to do hyperlapses with, where it used to be the most groundbreaking new style of photography and videography now if you want to do a hyperlapse i swipe to the hyperlapse mode on my phone and i make a hyperlapse um so if you don't constantly push yourself if you don't constantly keep learning or trying new things you're going to go backwards you don't stall just you're going backwards because everyone else is right on your level straight away so to keep you have to keep pushing yourself you have to keep trying and learning and failing and doing new things and and that is stressful it stresses me out just thinking about it. But that's part of it, I think. As you say, like going on these crazy sidelines, these crazy tangents, like that's what you've got to do as an artist or as a creator um, to to keep finding new things and to keep making new things and to stay fulfilled, I think, in your uh, personally, in your career and, and in your um, endeavors and in your creations. Yeah. yeah. And I think stress is such a word that we put a negative on because I think that's mm. like, that, but I feel like there's two forms of stress. There's the stress we put on ourselves, which can be really beneficial. And then there's the stress that other people put on us, which is that's when it becomes the horrible thing that everyone wants to ignore. And I think a lot of people would assume that, okay, you've gone and found this perfect job. You're happy doing that. I'm sure you're stress-free. But mm. it's as soon as you become stress-free that, as you were saying now, you start to fall backwards. And it's almost like, mm. almost like there always needs to be that level of stress, that pushing, that kind of growth. That's what stress is. It's just you growing. It's they're kind of forcing your brain into doing something it hasn't done before. And mm. I think that can be a really powerful thing. It's, I think, yeah, what we talked about earlier, it's like that comfort zone. In your comfort zone, there's no challenging uh, circumstances. You're not getting pushed. You're not, I mean, is is that just stress? Is, is being stressed being slightly on the edge of your comfort zone maybe? When yeah, I was yeah. pushed out of it and the same thing happened again when I moved here. Uh, so Amelia, she, after six or seven years in Australia, she's like, I want to work and live in London. I want to be in Europe, which is something a lot of Australians have, understandably, because they're 30 hours away from from Europe uh, all the time. So the idea of 
having a career and giving up a career that was just booming, skyrocketing, going so well, to give all that up, my professional and my social network there, to pack it all up again and move continents again to a city where there's much more competition, where I didn't know anyone, that stressed me out. But that then pushed me again in a, in a zone where I, I started making different things. And, and I, I used that energy. I funneled that into creating my first ebook, which is about time lapse, which has now been turned into that course. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have actually created that if I stayed in Sydney, if I stayed in my comfortable, um, you know, easy spot where everything was going smoothly. And what does that look like, landing in London and having to find new clients? Like, what do you do? What's the kind of like practical side of that? Of like, boom, I've just landed in a new place. I've given away every bit of work and people that I know. How can I, how do you kind of reboot that? Looking back on it now, I would do things differently. My idea at the time was I'm going to list, I'm going to create a list of all the agencies, firms, people, producers, directors, blah, 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 that I want to work with. And I'm just going to approach them and email them like a cold call, like, hey, I'm Matt, I just moved here. Here's what I do. Here's who I've worked with. Here's some recent work. If you ever need me or want to ask or chat, whatever, here's my number. I never actually acted on that because I got so distracted with so many things. All of a sudden, I was thrust into this new city. I was, I was, I could see my family uh, in Belgium and in Amsterdam all the time, and I just got distracted a lot. And then I just kind of kept dicking around with what I was doing already, which was social media and doing brand deals, and and I kept pushing back this thing that I felt I had to do. And then a pandemic hit, and everything shut down, and it was incredibly hard to socialize. And I thrive, I thrive with like just meeting new people and and. All of my work uh, came from meeting people in Australia. My career existed because I'm, I love meeting people and talking about what they do and what I do and like, oh, maybe we can do something together. And so that didn't happen. And so that social aspect was gone, which meant that there was nothing to come out of that professionally either. So if I look back at it now, I would definitely, uh, or if I could redo it, I would definitely, um, yeah prioritize that uh, building clients and stuff i recently did a big job and it was like a 10 person crew and i was just like oh my god yes finally i meet people in the industry that first of all i get along with they're really cool people they're super professional great workers um but also like who knows what's going to come out of this i know i'm going to work again with some of these people because that's how this industry works it's a uh, word of mouth and and it's not about what you do i think uh, as everyone always says it's about who you know and that's been a huge part of my career but i haven't met many people in the last two, three years here because of obvious reasons. So that's been really challenging. So now I kind of, as we're coming out of this pandemic, I'm looking at it with a bit of experience and I just moved back into Shoreditch. We moved back to Shoreditch after being in Bethnal Green for a while. And I'm like, cool, let's do this properly now. I'm going to make a new website, Matthew Manipute, optimize it for, for search engines, London time-lapse photographer, hyperlapse, whatever, make a new reel, that's going on YouTube very soon, London time-lapse photographer or like a London time-lapse reel and just kind of optimize that and, and make that happen so that I get more commercial work because that's what I really love. It's nice to do a brand deal and get a couple thousand pounds to have an integration on a YouTube video or an Instagram campaign. But what I really love is sitting, sitting somewhere doing time-lapses and delivering high quality content that no one else is doing for a client. And then to see that, that awe in a client's face or like in a director's um, you know, getting a text message when I did this big Amsterdam and, and Dublin, London job. When I sent the footage over, the people in the crew were like, oh my God, how did you do that? <laughs> how? Like, they're like, how do you do it? Like, what's the, what's the technique behind it? And then I explain it all. They're like, wow, that's, 
I, I miss that. I want to have more of that, you know? I think that's such an important distinction is that your social media for the most part is going to bring around those brand partnerships. Your website and your SEO is going to bring in commercial clients because they're not they're not going to be like following you on Instagram, most likely. They may be, but it's it's more likely that they're going to go, okay, what do we need today for this shoot? Okay, we need a time-lapse. Let's Google London time-lapse artist, and then they're going to find you. And I think that's something that so many people miss out on is realizing that that the the your big corporate work that you can you that has huge budgets that you're going to be able to make more from that can be hugely rewarding like you said they're getting that feedback from clients that big commercial work is is probably going to come from having good um, search engine optimization which is something that doesn't get talked about enough anymore like maybe it did five ten years ago but i feel like now everyone's just focusing on social media um, yeah. and i'm talking to a lot of artists and creatives who hate social media um but they're they're not optimizing their websites which is is like if you hate social media that's the way to go yeah and it's it's i don't think it's an either or i think you can do both because some mm. work still obviously comes from instagram people saying it or i got a license inquiry through vimeo yesterday from a video that's on there for six for six and a bit years um Flags. so i think like yeah. art directors still use vimeo to find things or content um but yeah ideally it's both you have the social media stuff that reaches people and then you get referred to for a job or whatever but also the seo stuff the website the having the the amount of people I talk to or like I, I mentor or coach or whatever that don't have a website. They're like, I want to do this. I'm, I'm in this city. Uh, I want to do uh, I want to be a time-lapse photographer like you, or like, I want to specialize in X, Y, Z. And I'm like, do you have a website? I'm like, no, but here's my Instagram. I'm like, Come on. You got to have a website. It's like, you're not going to get booked. You're not going to get hired. If, if people don't know who you are, it's the same way. Like if I, see someone's website and you want to hire that person make sure that you're on there have your face on there be be someone not just a, an end product or a service whatever uh, that's that's me i don't know if that's rings through for you guys as well but yeah i want to see the person that i'm possibly going to work with and have a little backstory like the about section to me is always incredibly important which is why i yeah. spend so much time online uh, on my website it's interesting yesterday i think it's yesterday i literally can't remember what the service i was looking for was but i was like I want to find someone on Instagram. Like I don't want to have, unfortunately this is the way you have to do it. But if you want someone for a random service that you don't currently know who that person is, like you have to Google it. Like that's where mm. you have to go and find them. And I was like, I, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to mm. try and find them on Instagram because I want to see, see their who work they and what are. They do. Yeah, exactly. And get an idea of like who that person is before I go and work with them. And it's almost a real shame that Google plus never became like a proper thing because if that was actually a great service and that would we'd all be so it'd be the perfect like blend between the two for us um but yeah unfortunately it's not and now i always find that if i do want to work with someone i'll always go and look at their instagram and see like well what's that once i found them on on google so i think yeah having that balance is a really important thing because mm. also i think that the the kind of clients you'll get from social media will be better clients than ones who just find you through your website because there's already some kind of like link to you that they already like you they're mm -hmm. there's already like the brand there like they're employing you because they like you and the things that you do and even if they could get someone who did the same like technically they want to work with you because they maybe followed you for a certain amount of time and i think as like and i think working with clients like that generally makes your job so much easier because they're always happy with the end results because they knew what they're getting beforehand and all that kind of thing whereas when you've got a business that runs purely from Google of people finding you, then they don't really know who you are. They're just mm. after the mm. service that you provide and 
they have this expectation in their head beforehand of what they want and they haven't even gone and seen your work whereas as soon as they find you through social media they the expectation of what they want is what they've just seen which is you yeah it's and i think that's exactly what happened on this last big commercial job i had which was london dublin and amsterdam um in five days which was super tiring <laughs> but super fulfilling um the producer on it messaged me on instagram had been following me for a couple of years and asked me like hey matt been following you for years Qu- question do you also do commercial work or only the you know the educational and social media stuff like i'm looking for a hyperlapse photographer for this job and i'm like i've made a big mistake i haven't made it clear on my socials that i am obviously available for commercial work so now i've changed my bio to I think right now it's like Time Warper Who Loves Clouds. And then the next line is commercial time-lapse and hyperlapse photography. Because I wasn't outwardly uh, exclaiming mm-hmm. or, or stating that I actually am a commercial photographer mostly. Uh, or that's that's what I want to be mainly. But yeah, they they booked me on the shoot um, through Instagram, which was good. But they already knew what to expect. and knew what I'm capable of and, and what I do and, and kind of what I'm like as well. Because I'm very open on my stories. And, you know, I share the, the wins and the fails as well on everything. So it's... Yeah, as you say, if that was to come through a website, it would be totally different. It would be, I need your service and your skill. How much is it? Can you be there? And then this was like a, a you know, almost like a friendly chat in the DMs. And then it led to this this job, which was really fun uh, and fulfilling. Yeah, I, I always worry on this show that I go on too much about social media um, because whenever I meet creatives in real life, one of the most common things that's said to me is like, oh, I hate Instagram, I hate social media. Um, but like, it's like you said, it, it, in terms of like, we talk on the show a lot about Daniel Priestley's 7114 theory, and it's those those repeated interactions that your potential customers are having with you. And like you said, this new client had followed you for years so this is not like an instant thing of someone's going to become your client, but for everyone out there now who's got like 200 followers or a thousand followers, it's like in five years time, one of those followers is quite likely will become a customer because you're continually interacting with them and they don't know it yet. And you don't know it yet, but you're, you keep on having those touch points, which is why it's so important to be regularly uploading and staying, staying relevant, staying with people, like letting them, taking them on this journey with you of your creative practice, because in the future, they might work with you. Mm. And whilst the, like a website is really key, I think a load of people overlook it. And you do have your about section in there to which which most people don't you pr- properly utilize, but you do have that section in there to, to let people know a little bit about you. But then the advantage of social media is you're continually letting people know about you. I get it why they, they disclaim, I hate social media. I think part of that is there's a lot wrong, obviously, with social media and what it's done to the world, et cetera. But a lot of it is also that I think not being afraid of like committing to it and saying like, yes, I am doing this to get more work in the end. Or it's like making yourself a little bit vulnerable. On TikTok, I've been posting, say, consistently for the past two months. I haven't grown a large following, but I've grown a following that is for the right people. And I'm now starting to get jobs from people who found me there, which is Mm. really good. And it's like, I think just by constantly being there, constantly reminding people because it's like the kind of service that I offer is the kind of thing you might need once a year so it's like I don't know when that one person is going to think okay now's my time to have that so I think being there consistently to kind of show up and as soon as you they are ready to purchase oh they've seen your video in the last two days or they've seen you like the day before and I think 
a lot of people who I think like hate the pressure of it, it's because they're not getting the results quick enough that they think they should be, which mm. I think that that is where I think most people's issues lie with social media. They expect that because they've seen it in the past, because when any new platform starts, the platform gives certain people kind of like really good boosts. Those people become famous in a really short period of time. So people expect that that's what should happen to them as well. Whereas actually it might be a really long slog and mm. it probably is going to be a really long slog. Statistically, but, it's going to be a very long yeah. slog, yeah. But then it's approaching it like, well, it's not a slog if you're just creating your work. Because if you approach it like, well, if we forgot that social media was a thing and you're just creating your work every day and you're committing a certain amount of time every day to creating your work and getting better at what you do, and all you've got to do at the end of it is just capture that image. Like if you, if you said to yourself, okay, I'm going to spend no more than 10 minutes a day on Instagram, that would be completely feasible. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I don't spend that much time on Instagram if I don't need to. Because it's just like, I'm creating the work, the work's done, and cool, open the app, post it, gone, boom. That's all you need to do. Whereas I think we put this so much pressure of like, oh, I've got to make everything really perfect, and I've got to be this absolutely beautiful account, then everything has to be, all the text, oh, God, it's going to take me 10 hours to really think through this caption to make it the exact perfect thing. Whereas actually, if you, if you hate social media, don't spend time on it. Just spend time on the work and then just post it and then go. Because I think by doing that, mm. you won't be like, you won't worry about it so much. And it's like, if things come from it, brilliant. If they mm. don't, it's still a hobby and we can still continue to head down that route. I think it's what you said. Like, if you hate it, you still got to do it. I you, you still have to do it. If it's part of your business, it's like doing mm. your taxes or admin, you mm. got to do it. Yeah. If, you want if you have that expectation that you want work to come out of that i mean as we said earlier like nothing no one's going to come and build your dream for you or you know enable your dream for you you got to do it yourself so if you want to have more work or if you want to have more followers or whatever even if you hate it you still got to put in that time so fucking do it yeah <laughs> i you know as i said love hate relationship with instagram but i'm i look at it as part of my business it, it's a business asset that i maintain like i maintain a lot of other uh, relationships or things you just got to put in the, the time and the work and i want to say by the way adam i've been loving seeing your um outputs on tiktok the whole behind the scenes and end results it just yeah it looks really good and it's good to hear that it's paying off as well but it's definitely like a long-term you know kind of investment right as that's how i see it anyway yeah can we just really flag that like adam is an adult male who is a grown-up who is putting work on tiktok a platform which still a lot of you are underutilizing and thinking is just kids dancing still even though we've been saying for the past like two years this is the place to be and he's getting real life jobs real life money from other adult clients like yeah get on fucking tiktok <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's um everyone i love seeing those videos when the pandemic started and everyone's like you know one year later like oh, i'm not downloading that kids app it's for kids it's for you know singing and dancing blah 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 and then fast forward one year later and you're spending hours on it it's an enormous time suck but also stuff comes out of it like you know in your case adam getting physical real life bookings and money <laughs> which is always nice i like the way i've approached it is i'm just gonna ignore what everyone else is doing and just do things that i know my clients will like and because it's like I don't want to do generic things, blow up and end up with loads of people who are following me who just like this thing that isn't going to ever bring it's my business anything. not valuable for you at all. Yeah, exactly. So it's like just do the simple things, and I'm just going to keep doing the same kind of format of 
well, this is what it's like to have a shoot with me. And these are the results you get when you have a shoot with me. And if you like that and you like that kind of content, follow along with that. But I'm not going to be like, okay, well, what current dance is trending on TikTok today? Mm. I'm what not can gonna I link to today? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. You, if you want to just be famous on TikTok, then there are ways to do that. And you're, you're never really going to have a niche because you're just doing a bit of everything yeah. that's going to get you the fame. But then at the end of the day, it's like, what are you going to be left of there? An audience who don't care about you, they just care about a little bit of whatever is trendy right now. But yes, like playing that long game and it it might take you forever. But like building a slow audience of people who actually care about you, who could actually work with you and employ you is a, such a better route to approach it rather than just doing the silly thing that's going to get you a couple of likes for the sake of likes. What you said, um, you said something create the content for you, the people that you want to work with or the people that you know that follow you. When I started vlogging on YouTube, which was the hype, uh, you know, X amount of years ago, I was making videos about fucking everything, but then I wasn't reaching anyone. I was, that didn't have a niche. I went out of the niche and I was doing travel and like, oh, here's fun things to do in Sydney and oh, a little time-lapse bit here and there. So I was making content for everyone but i wasn't making content for anyone you know does that make sense yeah, it was yeah. it, and it and it disrupted that growth of my channel now i've i've come back i've removed those i've unlisted those videos and i'm like what do you want to be about you're the time lapse guy you want to be the time lapse guy i want to be the top you know biggest one in the world with it or like one of the biggest ones so do fucking time lapse don't do travel videos or like best things to do or best asian food in sydney blah 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 and now I've, you know, I've tripled down on that. And it's about, yeah, as you've talked about so many times, being in that niche and then being the king or queen of that niche. And you're yeah. not going to get that if you're making stuff to jump on trends and to get a big following. So you'd rather have a smaller but loyal, dedicated, committed niche following than a big following that doesn't give a fuck about, you know, what you do or who you are. Yeah, like what the, my favorite phrase that I just say to myself all the time is just because you can do it, it doesn't mean you should. And yeah. I think that kind of goes to that. It's like just because you could make a travel video, just because you could do all these other things, doesn't mean you should be doing that to head down the route you're going down. Because we only have so much time. We only have so many hours in a day. And it's like, are we going to put that to some, towards something that's going to head us in the direction we want to be heading in? Or are we just going to do that thinking like, oh, I'm just going to get an audience? It's like there's two different kind of routes to approach it. Like, am I just going to try and appeal to everyone and get everyone in? Or am I going to just appeal to the people who actually care about me? And I think like... yeah we were talking about social media and the uh, social media is built on algorithms and if we don't educate the algorithm in terms of what we do it's not going to push us to the right people so i think yeah if we're making generic content about all sorts of different things imagine being that kind of that social media robot looking at your account and being like what the hell is this about like who am i going to push this to because it's so generic that it's not really going to appeal to anyone whereas as soon if you've got an account it's just okay well here's 400 videos of time lapses it's gonna be like okay well i'm pretty sure this account's about time lapses because everything mentions that and all the videos are that so who who likes time lapses and i'm going to mm. kind of show it to them like it's so simple but i think we kind of have this completely different view on how it actually should be but then you also have the the rare few people that do break through and they do become larger than anything uh doing any anything and everything right but then you get you turn into i think just an entertainer or people someone that people follow because it's interesting but then where's the longevity in that where's the career in that where's the where are you in 10 20 years are you still going to be doing the entertaining stuff or do you want to yeah 
Yeah, and I suppose with that as well, like the consistency in all of those posts will generally be that personality. It's like the celebrity that is that individual. It's like if you're a very entertaining person who's funny, who people want to watch because they like that person, that person could go and do anything. They could go and do this challenge over here. They could do travel videos over here. And you're not watching them because you care about all of the other things. You're watching them because you like that individual. Like when I think about some of like the vloggers that I followed on YouTube, I don't really care what they go and do that day because I just like that person. I'm just watching mm. that person for that person's sake. But the people listening to this show will have some form of creative craft. And it's like, mm. I feel like people should be known for their work rather than just who they are as a person, like as a creative. But it's so rare to, to get to that level, to have an audience that follows you for who you are, not mm. necessarily about what you do. But I think, yeah, Casey Neistat was a, a great example yeah. of that in his, in his YouTube uh, career. Like no one really cared about what he did. It was just, it looked cool and it was fun and entertaining. But it's, that's not a, a feasible thing. Like that's such a rarity to get to a level like that or to get to a, a point like, like Casey had or has still maybe. I'm not sure what he's up to right now. Um, so, but then, yeah, people want to chase that. People want to try and be the next Casey or the next uh, Peter McKinnon or whatever. And, and statistically, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Um, I, I really disagree with engagement pods on social media. Um, it's obviously very bad for your account and, and not a good thing to do. Um, however, having a creative network and having a load of genuine mates who are going to support your stuff, I think is really important. And I feel like that's something that you, you have, Matt. I feel like you've got a whole bunch of like really uh, like your mates with some of like the finest creatives on the planet. Um, how have you kind of gone around building that network i feel like like don't be offended by this but like i feel like you set out to be mates with me and like and it worked do you know what i mean it's like I, I feel like you chose tiktok as the platform to interact with me because you realized that i was like not as popular on there so i was gonna see your comments and stuff more often and like i just became familiar with you and you were incredibly patient um, maybe I'm ans answering your question for you. Like you were incred incredibly patient. Like we built up a relationship of just like, who's this guy commenting on my stuff over a period of like a couple of years. You never asked me for anything. You never like hit me on the DMs going like, what's up? When am I coming on the podcast or anything like that? But, um, but yeah, so I, f I feel like that's how our develop, our relationship developed really well. But, um, how have you gone about kind of cultivating this, this creative, um, crowd around you? It, I'm not sure if that if that golden age of, of Insta meets has gone or if it's going to come back. But a lot, as I said earlier, like the social act aspect of social media, the actual real life, physical meeting people and being at conferences, creative conferences, honestly go, they're worth the money just for meeting people like Adobe Max and VidCon and VidSummit, all those places. I've met so many people there just in real life uh, by going to these places. And luckily that was all with brands. So I didn't have to pay for it myself, but physically meeting people and, and being good socially. And if you're bad socially, get better, like read books and improve your skills. Like being social is a bit of a skill set. Um, how did I cultivate this, this group of, of really fun creatives that I hang with? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Just like meeting the right people. Like, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this if, if, if I didn't think you guys were interesting or to, you know, in an interesting place or like a podcast, like, of course I wanted to be on it. Never asked. I just think I thought like it, it might happen naturally. And it, and it did, you know, and what you said there, um, being on TikTok, like that wasn't a conscious thing. You know, I think we started being on TikTok around the same time and I just happened to engage, mm. but that is 
a true thing. Like I, I tell people, I've got this this other book, Passive Income for Creatives. There's a chapter about social media. If you want to engage or if you want to get um, noticed by people, you have to put in the work and you put in the time. And so that is, yeah, doing insightful or, or commenting insightful things and, and, and talking about the work and like, oh, I like the way you do that or not the, the generic comment, like you won't stand out like that. And if you do that yeah, over yeah. long enough. Like a load of flame emojis, yeah. Oh, fire, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And it's yeah, like you had no expectation actually... as well. Yeah, you had no expectation as well. It, yeah. it, it's like it's like if a if a relationship hadn't developed, I feel like you would have been fine with that because you're 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 speaking to a billion different people, like trying to like, yeah, it's also you're, like you're, legitimately you're, an appreciation for someone's work or art or skill set or craft. It's like, I yeah. love seeing it. And it was in the area that I lived when I kept seeing your work and stuff. So I was like, it's cool. You know, I, I follow this artist and he's around. And, and I think I saw you one random morning. I was sitting across from Albion on Bandry Street. And I see, I don't think I knew what you looked like at the time, but I saw this guy with a, with a, a trolley or like a, a case full of what sounded like cans and a bit of a, <laughs> I don't know, a bit of paint on the pants. And I was like, that David Speed? <laughs> I couldn't be sure then. Um, but it was just a, yeah, a cool thing to see an artist and to follow an artist and to like their work. And then over time, yeah, I think, I'm not sure how long we've, or I've been, you know, commenting on your work, a couple of years now, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's a nice organic, organic growth, I think. And that's the way it should be. You shouldn't be forcing things. You can game, you, you know, you can gamify it. You can, you can have those engagement pods and try and grow from that. But that's not, that's not the real deal. That's not organic. So yeah, the physical, the real life relationships, um, they are now just, they've translated on social media. You know, I sometimes get people like, oh my God, this person follows you or that person follows you. Like I didn't set out to be followed by, you know, famous people or, or, or crazy art artists or, or creators. Um, it's just a, an organic thing that happened from, from engaging with their stuff and, and leaving insightful comments and, and actually engaging as opposed to an engagement pod as you mentioned yeah it's funny like um quite a few like talks we do like i say like it's social it's called social media so be social and i mm. think like that is something that's really important and i think where it's literally people... a line in my book <laughs> <laughs> well uh, hopefully you didn't come to one of the talks and steal it uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think like for, for me when i go into instagram i enjoy it because there's a community there of people that i'm friends with and i can look at stories of people who i'm friends with who two years ago i didn't know and they were people that I've met now through work and there's a community forming there. So I now have a friendship group. I can open my phone and start talking to people and it's a nice social room. Whereas I feel like, whereas I feel like people who maybe don't like social media are, it's like walking into a networking event where you don't know anyone, where it's like, well, oh, I feel a bit awkward. I don't really know anyone here. I'm just here because I feel like I've have to, because my boss mm -hmm. has told me that you need to go to this event to meet people or something. And I think it's just kind of getting past that and like networking with people and building relationships. And yes, it might not be quick. Like you might be following someone for two years before you actually start talking, but it's starting that it's like basically using it like, like trying to treat it like MySpace used to be or something. People never use MySpace because they're too young. Like <laughs> it was a great social platform where people used to actually talk to each other. And I think, yeah, that's kind of what approach we need to have with everything. It's just meet people on these platforms. Don't just use it as a way to, extract some fame for yourself go on there to try and network with people meet people make friends with people like there's um a photographer who like we've followed each other for years and i've seen like his on his stories now 
he just posts like people basically his, his instagram stories have basically become like a job board of like people will send him stuff of, like oh this person's looking for a stylist for this shoot here boom that connects to that person and like with his stories he's basically just developing a community of people that every now every time anyone knows so if i needed someone for a certain shoot i'd be like well i'm just going to send it to him because i know he'll post on his stories and get out there and he's a really smart way to building that network within a community by just helping the community by building those relationships mm. by building friendships and yeah it's like he's not doing that for himself well obviously he's there's probably some kind of thought process behind if i help loads of people something good will come back to it but for for most of it it's just him helping other people rather than the selfish act of i'm going to post something and everyone like me for it yeah and i think you know that's enabling the community and the community will notice and it'll it'll pay off in the end like Community is, I miss, I miss that so much in the last couple of years. And when I said earlier, the, the golden age of, of Insta meets back in Sydney, we'd have Instagram meetups like every other week. That's where I met so many great creatives like Dennis and Ichban and, and all those people from real life events, from physical stuff. And it was, that was just fun stuff. That was the hobby. That was the passion why we were all out there and it was fun and all that. But then, yeah, the networking events translate that digitally to the social media it is work like put in that hour put in those hours put in the time and and yeah it's part of your business so if you want to if you want to see results from it you got to put in got to put in the hours yeah i think the idea of instameets as well like if if whatever your niche is if you don't have people who are currently doing that go and bloody organize one yourself like just find three other creators who are of your level who you may, might talk to already and be like cool let's club together I, like the worst thing that's going to happen is it's just us three that are going to turn up yeah. but then it'll still be together. a fun time exactly and it will still be really fun but then you put that out to your three audiences and be like we're meeting at this place to talk about all things whatever our niche is see what happens because i guarantee at least one other person will turn up probably from each of you and then suddenly you've got six people and i reckon that's probably the minimum that would happen like you're going to get more people and then you do it once all three of you all six of you whoever actually turns up shares what's happening there and then the next time you do it you've got more people and then suddenly you've got a huge community of people within a really short period of time with actually quite minimal effort it's just going to meet people a few times which at the end of the day is what we should all be doing we should be having those mm. real life connections totally and again that's what i've missed so much in the last few years is that lack of of community of physical connection of meeting new people and of being at a place and yeah I, I love that we're, you know, sadly the weather's turning now and we're going into winter and it's <laughs> kind of all changing again. But um, yeah, I've just, I've just missed that. Just meeting, meeting randoms, meeting new people, meeting people you've got nothing in common with, but you've got a similar passion for something or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's so nice, the whole community side of it. And, and just to end up, like on, on that note of sort of community and giving back to people and, uh, and helping others, um, you're, with your kind of book and your course, you're, you're pretty much giving away everything that you know. Um, has anyone given you the sort of advice of like, oh, don't like, don't tell anyone all of the trade secrets or anything like that? The the actual insightful trade secrets that I sell. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason I sell. There's a reason I keep them for that. But a good example was hyperlapse photography before it was big. I uh, refused to make a tutorial on it because it took us days or weeks or months to figure it out on a forum. We were sharing info of people in the US and, and in Russia. We were like trying to figure out how this one guy had done it. Um, took a while 
to figure it out, to perfect it, to make it into something repeatable that I could offer as a service. Used to do a lot of work for after movies at festivals and stuff. Um, so I was like, why? I'm not going to give that away. Like, I'd be crazy to do that. And then someone goes and make a, goes and, <laughs> and then someone goes and makes a tutorial about what we figured out. Got hundreds of thousands of views and followers. And I'm like, that could have been me. That could have been my tutorial. <laughs> so if I don't put it out there, someone else is going to do it. So yeah. I might as well do it as well. And to this day, I get so many messages, so many nice messages from people. They're like, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and what you do. If it's paid or unpaid, doesn't matter. I've got pretty much all my tutorials on, on YouTube uh, that are in my eBooks and stuff as well. But people just love that you share knowledge and share insights and share experience and do's and don'ts. And, and that's worth it. That's going to that's gonna pay off in the end. Now that I've got a more expensive product to sell, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits from that because people like what I've done and what I've made. And if, if, if this is what they're getting for free, imagine what's in the paid course, you know? But you got to make that product. You have to make that thing to, to be able to sell it. So that's, I think it's part of that. Um, the whole, that whole world is like, it's providing value, right? You create something of value and you'll get value back in return in the form of money or a following or, you know, being famous or, or big on social media. Uh, but then it's up to you to act on that and turn that into something uh, sustainable as a viable career as well. To touch on now, you just said value and creating value. And I think that's where maybe a lot of people go wrong, where they're creating lots of content, mm -hmm. but they're not creating value. And I think that's the important thing that I imagine a lot of people who, coming back to people we've talked about before, people who don't like social media, is maybe think about, okay, well, just because you're creating something doesn't mean it's creating any value to other people. Yeah. And maybe get out of your own head and thinking like, oh, this piece of artwork I've created, someone's going to sit and look at this for 10 hours because it's so beautiful and that kind of thing. Like, is it actually providing value? Or is it just something that someone can look at for half a second? And it's like, is that going to have some form of impact? So every tutorial you put out, that's going to be a few minutes of kind of entertaining value for watching that. Then also you've got the, the life experience that they can then go and use every time they go and do a time lapse. They're using the skills that you taught them. And it's like, so the value you're creating there maybe lasts hundreds of hours because it then continues to their whole career. And then they'll probably teach it to other people and that'll kind of filter off. And it might never come back to you, but it doesn't matter because you put those initial seeds in that are kind of sending the value out. Um, so I think, yeah, that's something we need to think about more is like the long-term value of the things that we're creating compared to just the short term. Is it just going to entertain someone for half a second? I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. If I could give like one piece of advice to whoever's listening uh, in the creative sector or, or any anything really, it literally is all about providing value, period. Not making content, not putting work out there. You got to provide value to people. That's it. It's as simple as that. And if you keep doing that, you can turn that into into something else. But yeah, keep that in the back of your head whenever you're creating something like, is this of value to someone? Hopefully many people. But yeah, that's literally all that it is about. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you let everyone know where they can find you online? Uh, my username is Matt Joes, M-A-T-J-O-E-Z. And you can find me under that uh, handle on pretty much all platforms. And if you want to learn how to time-lapse, I've got a YouTube channel with a couple hundred tutorials and got some eBooks and time-lapse courses as well on my site. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to finally make it on this podcast. Thank, thank you, brother. Thank you so much, Steve.